Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, it also shows that if you see something, an opportunity to do it, you go out, bring the people and make the effort, the payback can be quite immense. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. You're at the senior level in your company or industry, but you want to transition to starting your own firm or taking on board, advisory, investor roles. Or maybe you know you will want to make that shift down the road. It's a transition many speak of, but not all do successfully. Today, I'm honored to speak with someone who has done it and is very thoughtful on what it takes to do so. Please join me in welcoming Cecilia Hulton, recognized investor, entrepreneur, and board member who is based in Copenhagen. Prior to her transition, Cecilia spent more than 20 years in senior financial sector roles, asset management, sales and advisory, derivatives, in Germany, Stockholm, London, Copenhagen, and most of those years at UBS and Nordea. In 2016, she left that world and has since co-founded two companies, C-Bio, a biotech-enabling cures to cancer, and a data management company commercializing a project out of MIT's fintech program. She's also active at the board or advisory level at emerging fintech companies Consolidators, Compass Bank, and Temenos, and the digital healthcare provider Hey Doctor. Cecilia holds a Bachelor's of Science from Gothenburg School of Economics, completed MBA work at NYU's Stern School of Business, and executive education at MIT, Stanford GSB, and Singularity University. What did Cecilia over the past seven years do to transition upward? And what can we learn from that? I'm eager to find out. Cecilia, a lot of admiration and respect. Welcome to 97% Effective. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm honored to be part of your great show. Cecilia, what's one thing about you that people don't see from your impressive bio or on the internet that you'd like us to know about? That's a great question. 
I would actually take it down to two points. The first one is that I surround me with some great sparring partners. People I trust who bring additional perspective and they're willing to challenge me. That's everything from executive coach, good friends, mentors, dear husband. And then the second thing, I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone. I dare to explore, I test, and I learn from it. That's something I've done all my life. And I can give you an example. When I came back from New York and NYU, I took a job in Stockholm as a portfolio manager. After three years, I thought it was quite domestic and I longed to go out in the international world again. So I started to explore the opportunities, was offered a job in Germany, which included building up the Nordic presence with derivative structured products. And I thought, that's me. At the time, I didn't know any German. I didn't know anyone in Frankfurt. I lived together with my boyfriend-to-be husband, and many people thought I was insane. But I did it, and my now husband said, go for it, we find a way, and we did. And I think that's, again, coming back to the first point, surround you with great people. That idea of go for it and find a way, but having those people goes right into the topic here. Let's talk about that that career transition from really big company, corporate exec, insider, to eventually the entrepreneurial investor board world. To start being very direct or maybe overly simplistic, these roles that that you've got, Compass Bank, CBIO, Consolidators, either the board, founder, pick one or two of those. What do you attribute to getting that role? Mm, That's good. They didn't just land in my lap. I picked two, Compass Bank and CBIO, a challenger bank and a biotech company. There are a combination of factors why I was invited. First of all, my financial background. At the time, I came straight from Silicon Valley, Stanford and Singularity, and with some interesting perspective, learnings and network. I had done my first investments, both in health and fintech. And in both cases, I knew the people. And so there was a mutual trust. And I think that's very important. It doesn't say that you can only move in if you know the people. But if you don't, I think it's critically important that you build that trust or get to know and understand the motive and the driver for the other side. The first company that I founded with a partner in US, I did not know that partner well enough. So before we started to raise the funds, we actually split. So a learning lesson, something that is important. This part around people and trust, and obviously you said it doesn't happen overnight. What were some of the things about building strong relationships? I think that goes in everything you do with the people, if it's privately or in business. It's about trust. If you're going to drive something together, it's a roller coaster. So it's important to have this relationship that you can rely on. 
and that are willing to challenge you, but still support you and you work together. And Cecilia, we leaped right away to, to the present. When you were back at that moment, 2015 or 16, were you very clear that this is where you wanted to be, where you're at right now? Was it intentional and this is my target? Or was there something else in your mind at that time? I wish, in a way, I was that clear, but I realized that I wanted to go from being the intrapreneur I was in the big organization to become an entrepreneur and investor and also work with businesses that made an impact because it's the business building that's always been energizing me. But in all honesty, at the time, I didn't have a clear plan. So I needed to find a bridge into that. And that's why my sabbatical in Silicon Valley became so valuable. Let, let's go right at that. You've painted a picture where you had this, this notion. You had these, yeah. these skills that clearly now in retrospect were very useful. But you used that word, you needed a bridge. And let's transport over to Silicon Valley, leaving Europe. How did that clear the fog or create clarity for you? What the trip and my stay in Silicon Valley helped me do, it helped me explore and learn a lot, both from the startup scene, but also from organizations like Stanford, uh, Singularity, and the setting of people. It gave me an inspiration of how you can build businesses, how you can leverage technology. In essence, the interactions with the people out there helped me to form my plan for coming back. So it very much sounds like it was a period of reflection, discovering new things. It was a catalyst. And then you move on to become entrepreneur, investor, taking on board roles. What was personally hardest for you and and how did you overcome that? The hardest thing was to take the leap. I gave up the high-income job. I gave up my identity as a successful banker. And as I indicated before I left to Silicon Valley, I was not 100% sure how my new role looked like. And therefore, I was not very good in articulating it for others. So others didn't really get it. But I knew it was the right move. So I just embraced the challenge and I started to explore and learn. And that's the bridge into the Silicon Valley and the experience I built that I then brought back to Copenhagen. And this is where it became apparent that this path to more of your call, which is popular today, to say a portfolio carrier. Was there anything in that process that you started and tried to do, like, this is not moving the needle at all, <laughs> or was even a waste of time, right? If you could advise someone else <laughs> going through that process, avoid this at all costs, or this didn't work or impeded the transition, what would you call out? When I came back to Copenhagen, I had taken a sabbatical, and I felt that I at least should go back and try to negotiate a new role with the new learnings and competences that I could actually bring some value to the bank. And we were negotiating for a few months. 
And that was a little bit of a waste of time. But then when I finally concluded, then I was free to move on. And I still remember the feeling I had the day when I walked out. It's sunny, I have wind in my hair, and I felt the word is my oyster. I, it was really a feeling of freedom and I was ready for the next chapter. That's when I said, okay, this is it. So you cut the cord there and, yes. and you moved forward. Anything else there that you would additionally call out or has gotten you to think about? Recasting and telling your story. I had the true pleasure of working with Professor Acker. Stories are extremely powerful. And if we think about it, it's quite natural. Our brain is more wired to remember a good story than simple facts and numbers. So with her, I learned to replace my spreadsheets for stories by telling six-word stories. And this is a way of how you can concisely capture a story in only six words. And I've written many six-word stories. If I look back and see what I capture for my own transition, I have a few examples. Unleashed, free to explore, Refound purpose or door closed, free to open anew. And this is something that can serve as a conversation starter. You can use it for social media posts, you can do it as personal reminders. But in all honesty, it took me some time to recraft my stories. It's very valuable, it's useful, it helped me to reflect. So, my piece of advice to people would be to be bold, share early, keep iterating your stories and let them evolve because your story is an asset. And I think that's something that's very valuable. That process of iteration to go really down to what you did, was this just like when you talk to people, you would just try different short stories? Like what, what did that look like? Take a picture. I write the six-word story every day. Just build that habit. And that can actually be a very good diary that you could go back and review. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. I also want to ask you here, because we brushed by it a little bit in your career in banking. A lot of that was in sales. Curious what, what you would draw from your sales background. If you understand the client's need and you can craft a compelling solution for the client and they are willing to pay for it, you're in business. And if you think about it, it's a human-centered approach and that's what you do with any business. If you have clients willing to pay for your solution and if you actually solve a real problem or meet a real need, people will be willing to pay for it. That's sales for me. And there's also this aspect of building a network because you said you talk to a lot of new and interesting people. I'll call out that you're not a massive extrovert nor necessarily out there on social. But, you know, we both know, and it's one of the things we talk about a lot on the show, the, the importance of networks. How did you get networking to work for you? 
Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And I would say spot on. I'm quite selective and deliberate in my efforts on social. Uh, maybe that's my gray hair and my age. But actually, I do love networking. And maybe more selectively in person. I love to interact with people. And I actually believe that's one of my strengths. And I found myself quite good at connecting people and ideas, especially in person. And one of my favorite activities started many years back when we lived in London. I came to Stockholm every now and then, and I didn't see some of the people I really cared about. So I started to arrange dinners when I stayed overnight, and I called them trend-spotting dinners. I often brought different people to get a small group of people and they did not necessarily know each other. So they brought different perspective and they were only allowed to bring a future idea of what they saw as a trend. And that was the topics for the evening. And that was actually served me really, really well. I would recommend people to read John Levy's book, You're Invited, uh, which also gives a lot of ideas of how you can uh, create interesting networking opportunities. And I think you should not limit yourself to just go out and be at work events, etc. You can invite people to do a lot of things and people will really appreciate it. And you can be curious of who you want to invite, even if you don't know them really well. I ask people to come and bring a reflection. What they saw of how school is working. It could be on the global economy. It could be on a new legal action. People brought something they thought was interesting or challenging. And everybody then, let's say we were five to seven people, we had a chance to to discuss these five to seven topics. So everybody got the chance to bring in something that was interesting. I love that because you bring the topic that facilitates and creates the discussion. And I'll be honest with you here, Cecilia, one of my clients, she had told me, I hate this kind of go to a mixer or a bar where there's tons of people who don't know, but I like having people over for dinner, small groups. <laughs> I presented to her what you did, and I do a similar thing for Thanksgiving. As you know, I'm here in Spain, and so I will invite eight different people who are not familiar with the tradition over who are somewhat connected to us but in different ways. So I'm going to now add the part of a particular topic. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And, and I mean, it's a way of also mixing people and bring the weak ties together. And there's a lot of exciting things that can come out of these discussions. Yeah. And meetings and connections. To talk about exciting and, and even on a larger scale, I want to call out or have you describe what you did when you were at Stanford's program. You were one of the very early cohorts yes. to be involved at, at Stanford's lead executive education program, which has now grown tremendously. You were one of the founders that started a, an event called Meet a We, which continues to this day. Talk about how that came about and how you've also leveraged or how that's helped you. Yes. The one-year program at, as LEAD is, is online program and impressive program. But as I was in the Valley, I also took the opportunity to spend time on campus 
meeting faculty, meeting other people that transition and stop by at Stanford or people that lived around. And what became clear, I was part of the second cohort, that we were a few people starting to say it would be great, we should all meet at campus. And the idea started. So we were three people, Hosni and Ashita and I, that took the ownership of saying, let's do it. And we convinced faculty that this was actually a good idea. So we created this in 2016, a a three-day event. And out of the cohort, two cohorts, I think we had 100, close to 120 people coming from all continents, flying in, spending three days with lectures, company visits, and networking at campus. And faculty was actually quite um, amazed with the impact it had on the participants and uh, the success it was. So it's actually, yeah, it continued. And now I think it's about 400 uh, students that come out every year. So that was great. And it was great to just be there and meeting everybody. But it also, as you said, it's... It helped me post that. I was invited to work with Professor Acker on her innovation playbook, and then also to work with Professor Pfeffer on the power course. So it was a little bit of starting a snowball effect. By doing something and taking an initiative that I actually wanted to happen, and I had the opportunity to do it. It was a great investment. And it was tremendous. You came in and created a whole new resource that has become huge and and quite well known within that program. So I I just call that out as a fantastic example of of one of the things that you've done. Yeah, it also shows that if you see something, an opportunity to do it, you go out, bring the people and make the effort, the payback can be quite immense. Mm. A question, as you do this transition, you're well-established in the financial sector. You could take the sabbatical. You had some financial resources to rely on there. For those who may be earlier in their careers, and they're, and they're thinking, yeah, I want to go become investor or move to entrepreneurship board roles. If you think back to that stage of, of your career that people should maybe be doing and that five, 10-year mark to also facilitate or help the path that you've stepped into now? That's a great question. Probably as a starting point, I would build my trusted group of sparring partners. I would also keep my networking and keep learning. I think these are the investments you do. But one important add-on, and as you said, to be able to also have the financial freedom to take a jump where you lower the income or whatever it can be, I would advise people, or this is what I've done and what we've done is keep your cost base slim, build a buffer, and don't let the bank or your employer own own you. So stay free to act. You can have a cost base, but as long as it's adjustable, so you don't have to stick to the role that you start to, you know, 
you want to do something else, but you can't because you can't afford it. That's not a good position to be in. So think ahead and say, do I really need to leverage up? I like to leverage technology and opportunities, but do I need, do I want to leverage up the balance sheet? And I say, no, I want to have the freedom to be able to walk out if I want to. And I think that's, that's one of the important learnings for me. I really like how you've combined both the spreadsheet, but also the story there <laughs> to convey that idea. Cecilia, the podcast around power and influence, and as you alluded to before, Professor Pfeffer, we have both coached and, and served in his course. As you think about power and influence, your career in the financial sector industry, and you were an entrepreneur there, to now being outside and on the board and investor level, Anything that you think differently about building power in that context versus building power now in the one you're in? In all honesty, the big shift in how, how I view mm-hmm. power is before and after I took the Pfeffer course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, where I had you as my brilliant coach, but there were so many good aha moments and eye-opener But having said it, and to your point, of course, there are differences. Maneuvering in a large organization with more formal power structures versus navigating an agile startup with with a flatter organization. But independent of size and structure, the number one key is to understand where the power sits and how you can influence that. If you don't understand that, you know, doesn't matter. Really good reflection. And I want to ask this corollary question to that because now you are an investor, right? You you invest in companies, you look at them, and we know certain things around persuasion, showing up confidently, your presence, how to tell a convincing story. And we can see this used to get investment and do great things. We also see it used by con artists. I'm sure part of the the money you invest is your personal wealth. What kind of things are you looking for who's using these things for more nefarious means, who may be using them genuinely? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I think it comes down to, and let's go back to get to know the people. Get to know the people in charge, the drivers, Build trust. Do you understand the motives and what drives them? I think that's an important factor. In addition, I would say include others with different backgrounds, experience, perspectives when you evaluate businesses. And that's both when you go into an investment decision, but also when you're in the the setting. And make sure that the culture allows for challenges and that it's okay to raise questions. Hmm. I think if you do that, it's a good starting point. Cecilia, you're originally from Sweden. You're now based in Denmark. And you've spent your your career in very male-dominated areas, finance and investing. The things that you've talked about, I think, are pretty universal here as you make transitions. But from your perspective, anything important for for women in particular that they may need to do differently or to take into account? I think, as you say, many things are universal and they will always be. But 
Get the board of sparring partners, men and women. Then we get a coach, executive coach like Michael Venderold, keep you accountable. So that's the one thing. Second, embrace challenges. And be willing to ask for help. People like to help. And it plays to people's ego if you ask in the right way. And you don't need to be 100% sure that you will succeed. If you fail, if something goes wrong, you still learn something. And how can you be 100% sure if you never tried it? And then I would say, if you have the opportunity, take Pfeffer's course on power. If you don't have access to his course, read the book, Seven Rules of Power, Mm -hmm. and apply the strategies and wisdom. Male or female, you can both use it. I've seen also, after working with Pfeffer, the value for many females getting the heart moment and applying the strategies out of that course and seeing how easy they actually can start to move the tipping point. And that's quite impressive. Very much in agreement with you here and like you, I've been... Very influenced by by Jeff and his work. O- on yeah. the topic of gender parity opportunity, I do want to ask, right? Because a lot of things that you'll read and you look at point out Scandinavian countries as as leading the way on this front. So I'll just ask you straight up front: is is that true in your experience? Overblown? I think there are some areas where the Nordics do the right and get. There's still a lot to be done. But I think that's a, a, a topic in itself. So I think I leave it like that. <laughs> I will have you back and we'll have a full episode to, to, to discuss that. <laughs> Cecilia, a final question before we go to a wrap up here. That period where you did physically get up, you took a sabbatical and you went and lived in Silicon Valley. Yeah. As you come back now, to work in this part of the world. Anything that you've noticed of how that has shifted your approach versus, say, some of your peers who have stayed in the region? Or or anything also coming back that's made you appreciate about this, this part of the world that you're in? I think I can only answer for myself. So my time abroad, anytime, uh, but then if we focus on the Silicon Valley, has... Clearly, it broadened my perspective, uh, increased my network, and made my life richer, no doubt. And I clearly appreciate some of the things that we discussed before. Having this arena with opportunities and people being willing to open doors for you and help. And as an example, when I was starting the other company, I realized together with my partner that there's one uh, a Google executive that would be very valuable to get hold of. I saw that he had some connections to Stanford. I wrote to him that I was connected to Stanford and what we were doing from the MIT. And I asked if he could have a coffee and he was willing to embrace that. It ended up, he found it interesting and we got him on as an advisor. Mm. And that's by reaching out, being curious, and you land it. And he still actually works with my ex-partner. Hmm. So, so people are open. He, you know, he had a busy life, etc. But he was curious, and I like that. 
people want to help. And it's good to be bold and curious. I didn't know that. I did not know that. So thank you for, for sharing that. Cecilia, any important question didn't ask you want to address? There was a lot of good questions, as always, uh, Michael. It's good to spend time with you because that makes me reflect and, and see what's happening. No, I don't have anything else to add at this point. Thank yeah. you. I'm going to put all of your companies and the work you do in the show notes, but how do people best reach out to you, see your work, get investment from you if they've got a great idea? <laughs> I would say reach out via LinkedIn. And I would also like to say with the regards to investments, if I invest in a company, I invest and go in active. And that's also limits how many investments I can have. Yeah. Awesome. Cecilia Holton, recognized investor, entrepreneur, board member who's based in Copenhagen. Thank you so much, Cecilia. Again, lots of admiration and respect. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Michael. It's always a pleasure to interact with you. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.